This is Daniel Burnett with TrainLikeARanger.com. Today I have a guest and a friend on, JT. He agreed to come on and talk about some things that, uh, believe it or not, I've gotten questions on, on these things. And uh, JT is the first officer I've had on my podcast. Uh, he's a Marine officer. He's training up to become a pilot. So he's a pilot in training. And uh, how are you doing, JT? Daniel, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before I hit the record here, and uh, I was telling you how somebody actually, uh, you know, I've written programs for all sorts of people. I get advice from all over the place. And when I say this, I'm not discouraging uh, any questions at all. Uh, whenever I don't know something, I try to go find it for people. But believe it or not, I've had a guy ask me, you know, what it looked like to become a Marine officer. And I was like, I don't know, dude, I'm a was a sergeant in the army. <laughs> you know what page you're on, right? But uh, <laughs> that being said, I actually, uh, you know, I got a friend who's, uh, who's been through that. So that's kind of, uh, you know, I wanted to start there just kind of uh, letting you introduce yourself and then talking about the, the difference between becoming a Marine officer versus an officer elsewhere. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, first, I want to say it's a privilege to uh, get the invitation from you to come on the show, especially after guests like Angel Cortez. Uh, yeah, it's just an honor. Uh, uh, but yeah, man, uh, good question. What is it like to become a Marine officer versus uh, another branch? And that was a question I asked myself before uh, kind of going down that path. I actually walked into an Air Force recruiter's office uh, I wanted to enlist and uh, nothing against the Air Force uh, definitely has its place and they treat their people pretty well from what I hear. Uh, but I just wasn't impressed. I ended up going next door to the Marine recruiter's office and as a chance would have it, uh, I just saw a bunch of recruiters who embodied everything that I wanted to see in myself. And uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I mean, really the, one of the underlying reasons that most people join the Marine Corps is a very strong sense of pride and that's a good and a bad thing but i think mostly a good thing uh, that's why i joined one of the reasons why i joined uh, is, is i've run that title of marine before anything else before the title of uh, pilot or some people want that title before they want the title of infantry officer etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah i think uh you know i think a lot of service members recognize that you know um it's a, it's a great branch. I got family who went into the Marine Corps and, uh, and I respect the Marine Corps very much. Now that being said, that's interesting. Um, so you just went to a regular recruiting office to become a Marine officer. Negative. So I actually wanted to enlist. Uh, I didn't know what I okay. wanted to do. I wanted to do something cool, something challenging, something dynamic, not like an office job or anything, uh, which again, definitely, you know, balls don't fly without supply, right? So there's <laughs> there's definitely nothing wrong with being in a non-combat arms job. I'm not in a combat arms job, uh, but uh, no, I wanted to enlist. And uh, you would go to something called an officer selection office or an officer selection team. It's like a recruiting station, but for the purpose of commissioning uh, candidates. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, there's there's other commissioning sources as well. If you're already enlisted, there's the Enlisted Commissioning Program or another one called MESEP. Uh, 
both of those work pretty much dependent on you getting your degree. Uh, they work a little bit differently in how MESEP lets you stay in the reserves, I believe, as you get your degree. Uh, that tends to be the more popular option. Uh, but for already uh, enlisted people, there's MESEP and ECP. And then for regular old uh, non-enlisted folks like I was, uh, non-Mustangs, you just, uh, you go get your degree and then you go to OCS or there's a program called PLC, a platoon leaders class, which is what I did. Uh, that's where you go to officer candidate school over the summer while you're getting your degree. And then you uh, graduate university or college and uh, you commission pretty much the same day. Okay. So, so the degree required is typically a, a bachelor's, I take it? Yes, uh, you need a bachelor's degree before you can commission. Okay, and and while you were going to college, did you go through like boot camp and then OCS? Is that what it looked like? Negative. So uh, in the PLC program, you go to officer candidate school up in Quantico, Virginia. I did the, okay. the uh, there's a 10 week section or two six week sessions uh, for OCS. I did the two six weeks and uh, after that, it's it's kind of a weird transition since you're you know you're done with your basic training but you're not an officer yet because you're not you don't have a bachelor's degree so you have to wait uh, in some weird transitional status until you have that bachelor's degree in hand to commission. Interesting. So with uh, you know at at most colleges you have the guys who are getting in the army uniforms and uh, and going to school is that going as a marine officer did you did you dress up in any sort of uniform while you were going to college was there any sort of like uh you know i you said you were doing something a little different but i'm i'm trying to connect the dots like uh were you like wearing a uniform reporting somewhere at the college were you like in a certain uh section of the college how, okay. how did that work uh, good question so uh, unlike NROTC or ROTC, you do not wear uniform and you do not uh, usually report on a day-to-day -day basis. So I reported once a month to what they call a pool, fu uh, pool function, you know, just like enlisting. Uh, you go to different events where you take fitness tests, you know, they have like uh, group sports or stuff like that, you know, cookouts. Uh, ours was strictly uh, just fitness tests and then maybe like a a speaker would come in like a MARSOC operator or a pilot or infantry officer or something like that. And uh, they would come speak to us. We kind of get an idea about their field and then we'd see another one next month. Uh, but yeah, just on a month to month basis, um, I'm more <laughs> what the Marine Corps would call appropriate civilian attire, right? Nothing like with cuss words on it or like, you know, affiliated with a gang. That's pretty much it. No military uniform, suit and tie or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that a little better. This is, uh, a, I'm not trying to, uh, slander the process, but it does, um, it does bother some of us how quick they give, uh, just random people some uniforms to try on and, uh, walk around the college campus. So, oh, uh, for sure. me and my <laughs> buddies would call it pajamas. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just a weird, it's a, yeah, it's odd. definitely stick out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. So it's not as, um, like ROTC, it's not tying you down as much. 
but you're still meeting up on a monthly basis and you're going to college and you still have um, these ties to the Marine Corps. So is there like a, is it, is there like an obligation? Like um, say, say you're halfway through college and you go, I don't know if I want to be a Marine officer anymore. Is it one of those things where uh, you're under some sort of contract or can you pull at any time? So that's a great question. In the PLC program, uh, which again is before or before you have your grad, your undergrad degree, uh, you sign a contract to go to officer candidate school. And until you graduate officer candidate school, and they, they literally give you a, a form at the end, pretty much saying, yes, I'm going to commission or no, I'm going to deny a commission or, or resign a commission. Uh, up until that point, you have no contract except the first four weeks, I think. Yeah, four weeks of officer candidate school. After that, you can drop on request, but that's pretty rare that someone would do that. Uh, you still see it though. Um, I also know someone who, I'd said there's two six-week programs. I know someone who went through the first six-week program, uh, decide, decided he wanted to be a SEAL, and then he didn't go back. That's totally okay. He didn't owe the Marine Corps anything after that. That's interesting. Did he make it? Did you find no. out? Oh, okay. Don't. I'd love to tell a story for him. Uh, he's an amazing guy, uh, but no, I'll, I'll let him tell that story uh, when he uh, when he does what he's doing right now. Yeah, but he's in a different school right now. Very cool. Um, so going going forward with this, you know, uh, a question I get is they ask, you know, a lot of people ask me, should I go officer or should I go enlisted, and my take, I'll, I'll give you kind of what I, I've been saying, and I kind of want to get your ideas on this, but, you know, in my head, if you're looking at the military as a career move, you probably want to go officer, I would think, put in the, you know, if you have the means to. But as far as a career move, better pay, um, probably better opportunities overall, I would probably lean towards becoming an officer if you looked at the military as a career thing. Now, that's just me from prior enlisted standpoint, trying to take my best stab at it. Now, I'm curious kind of what, drawn, what drew you to the officer side and, uh, and you know, in your opinion, why become an officer over enlisted or vice versa? That's a great question. Uh, personally, uh, I was, uh, I was given the advice by my recruiter, which he probably shouldn't have done, but he gave me the advice to go officer and become a pilot instead of, uh, I think, um, other jobs I wanted to do, you know, could be enlisted or officer, but he said, it sounds like you kind of want to be a pilot. Uh, and you, it, I think you have what it takes, you know, you know, take your shot at OCS. And I was like, Oh, I'll take your advice there. Uh, so I, I may not be the right one to ask, but I will say, um, despite the stigmas of like, you know, a college kid with freaking bars or, you know, sucks at land nav kind of lieutenant, you know, being an officer is, it has its perks and its drawbacks. Like I will say if your goal is to do super cool jobs, like be a scout sniper or go recon or anything like in the like operational field, uh, combat arms field, then enlisted guys are the ones to talk to for that because they're the ones who are the backbone of, of all of that, uh, the the officers are 
just there for checks and balances uh, from, from my limited understanding. Uh, obviously, I'm not in that field, uh, but from what I understand from guys I know in that field, guys and girls in that field, um, it's, it's not the same as being enlisted. So if your goal is to be freaking Chuck Norris, then you probably don't want to be an officer. Uh, again, that's my limited perspective. But uh, if your goal is to, like you said, have a little bit more stability, uh, if you want to be a pilot, you have to be an officer in the Marine Corps. Um, I think Army has warrant officer programs as well. And uh, I mean, th there's reason right there, but there's nothing wrong with just going officer and there's nothing wrong with going enlisted. There's just uh, different end states is what it seems. And yeah. if you go enlisted uh, and you decide to go officer, I think that's even better because uh, you have, you kind of see both sides of the perspective. Obviously that's not my case, but I know a lot of, extremely squared away folks who uh went that route yeah and and i will say you know guys who do enlisted time and then go officer um they do have that well-rounded perspective kind of like you know as a as an officer you get to make some calls and the guys who spent time in the enlisted side kind of knows how the average enlisted guy thinks and so you know for that reason they they uh, they do a pretty good job at keeping the enlisted guys happy because they know kind of what pisses them off and what doesn't, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to that. Like I, I find it hard to understand why officers, at least, at least Marine Corps side, why we don't, um, why us non Mustangs, uh, have a problem with, uh, relating not, not always, right. There's it's, it's not across the Marine Corps, but it's common that officers and enlisted have this, little break in communication or this awkward like relationship because the dude who or dude or, or a lady who just graduated college like got their degree became an officer and you know then someone who's enlisted might think well they don't know what I know because I've been doing this since I was 18 and that's true like you definitely have more experience uh, but officers are taught from day one man from the drill instructors to listen to their NCOs and staff NCOs and it seems like a plague of, of officers kind of neglecting that or forgetting to do that. Um, from, from what I could tell, it's a lot of uh, career protecting going on. Obviously, not everyone's doing that, right? Like, not everyone's a turd, but there's definitely bad apples. And, uh, yeah, man, um, easy to get a bad rap for that. Easy for officers to get a bad rap for that, I think. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in the words of... Um, prior enlisted Mustangs, uh, prior enlisted officers are either the best of officers or the worst of officers because it'll either go to their head and they'll be turds or they'll take their experience and their knowledge, which is a lot, and they'll apply it to what they're taught as uh, an officer and they'll just succeed. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, people will be people no matter where you put them. Uh, you definitely weed people out, you know, whenever you do certain processes, but you know, people, people are people at the end of the day. So you're going to have good eggs and bad eggs, but for sure, there's a lot of screening and it's pretty competitive, but yeah. birds get through, man. Yeah, they, they do. And, you know, I can speak uh, from the enlisted side. There's a lot of truth to what you said, you know, uh, as an officer, you're, you're typically not going to be out with the, with the enlisted guys, you know, drinking and stuff. You, you know, it happens, especially in the, um, and Ranger Regiment, you know, you see it happen. Um, but, you know, the uh, the culture is a lot different there, you know, too. 
because we kind of eat the officers alive. It's kind of an, an enlisted man's world there. So that was, that was different there as opposed to a lot of other places in probably the military, but I can speak for the army. Um, you know, the, the officers uh, get treated a lot different elsewhere in the military. So, you know, it can go to some officers' heads outside in the military. Now, typically what we got was a good product because it was, it's, there's a deep understanding that it's an enlisted man's machine, but the officers definitely, um, they should get more credit because they got to deal with a lot of crap. I mean, they got to deal with a lot of logistics and everything else. Um, you know, the average to the average enlisted man, especially the lower enlisted man, you know, they might look at uh, these officers and kind of say, ah, we're enlisted and we know something they don't, but man, those, those officers have to go through all this schooling beforehand. They have a lot of responsibility. And so they should get that respect that um, they should get the respect for that because they got a lot to juggle. And so, uh, you know, that's something, that's something I will say from my end, but yeah, it is kind of hard. Uh, it is kind of hard for them to relate to the enlisted men just cause you know, if they haven't done that enlisted thing before, it's just two way different paths. But, um, you know, I think, I think either one's great. It's just two different walks of life. And I do. Exactly. I'm glad you covered that. You actually, uh, I, I have a habit of rambling by the way, but, uh, I'm glad you, you covered, both. <laughs> yeah, I, you covered a question that I do get a lot, which is, you know, if I want to be a ranger, if I want to go SF, if I want to do whatever special operations or, you know, something along those lines, do I need to, stay enlisted or go officer. And you kind of covered that to an extent. I tell them, I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, as a career move, if you want to be an officer, be an officer. And you just got to be persistent to make it to things like, you know, Ranger Regiment, SF, if you're in another branch, maybe it's SEAL, maybe it's MARSOC, you know, there are officers there, but it's going to look a lot different. You know, there's a lot more enlisted than there is officers. So you have to really be persistent. You have to be really squared away. And uh, it's kind of a, it's a much longer shot than, you know, going enlisted just because there's less of a demand. You know, you have one officer per platoon usually. So there's just not a high number of officers in any sort of those machines. So that's, you know, that is something to consider. A hundred percent. And I think uh, I'll, I'll comment on one thing you said, you said it's important to give officers credit because uh, there's some behind the scenes stuff that enlisted folks might not see. Uh, I think that's a power struggle, man, because a lot of people say, oh, you got to give the enlisted guys credit or the officers credit. But I think the credit should be shared by all, man, because you can't you can't have just officers. If you if you had just officers in the military, like it would not be efficient at all. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to insult anybody uh, or any group, but officers are different. They have, they have a different role to play than enlisted kind of say super important people uh but definitely not as as uh, as experienced as enlisted and if you go and become an officer and you expect to be like hot shit and you expect to be the like critical element of your platoon you're gonna fail um, your platoon is way more experienced than you your platoon sergeant uh should be probably the most experienced uh, in most cases, but if you don't listen to those uh, inputs from your senior enlisted, 
even your junior enlisted, like you're going to fail. And most officers not grasp that, uh, but the officers that don't really give other officers a bad name for not being understanding or not listening. And uh, it's, it's very easy. I would, I would estimate, you know, I'm not enlisted, but I, I would estimate that it's very easy for enlisted to look at officers and say, uh, you know, well, you know, he probably thinks he's, you know, God's greatest gift to this platoon, but he doesn't even know what Staff Sergeant X has been through and how Staff Sergeant can do way more than he can. That's all too common, but anyway, I'm rambling now. No, that's excellent, excellent, excellent advice. You know, I can speak for my my prior job, you know, I was a Ford observer and I attached to the platoon leader a lot. And so, you know, the best platoon leader that I worked with was somebody who was very open to advice. You know, I think a lot of these, uh, a lot of these guys now there's mixed reviews on this. Somebody's going to have a different opinion than I have, but sure. you know, there's, there's, I've seen officers try to take it all on without getting that advice, without, you know, picking the brains of people around them. They try to just, you know, I'm the leader. I need to know everything. Uh, sometimes you don't know everything. Sometimes you need to, you know, be a little bit more open to, you know, getting that advice and for, especially from the people who've been around. hundred uh, percent. And so, you know, I've seen, uh, I've seen officers, you know, kind of struggle, have that power struggle where they think uh, they need to know it all. They need to be this big leader. And so they try to take all that, all that leadership uh, on themselves and they kind of crash and burn because they're not using the resources that are all around them. Now, the best officer that I worked with was, uh, I remember the first time he turned around and asked me, he just kind of, he asked me uh, during one of our training events, he said, am I doing the right thing here? And I was like, kind of took me back. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, oh, you know, cause I'm like a sergeant, you know? And I was like, yeah, exactly. I was like, yeah, yeah. I think you're doing it. I think you're doing a good job. And, uh, and, he, he knew what he was doing, but he knew when to turn around and ask, you know, for advice. Yeah, hey, is this right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Cause you don't want to take what you learn in training and just assume that's how it is a hundred percent of the time in the field. Yep. Yeah, that that yep. would make you very, very limited in your abilities. But if you're able to turn around, like you said, and just be like, Hey, Sergeant, is this good to go? <laughs> like, I think it is. But if you see something, you know, glaringly wrong, just please God, let me know. So I don't fail. the Yeah. Platoon. Yep. So he knew when to, he knew when to ask and he definitely, uh, he definitely trusted in his platoon sergeant and, um, and that guy was squared away too. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's excellent advice. And so, uh, let's see, looking through my notes here, I made some notes for us to cover. So, uh, I did get some questions for you. You know, I announced this uh, podcast a while back. We finally made it happen. Uh, you, you've been, uh, everything's been crazy, obviously, you know, this is a weird period of time. So, you know, you've had some transitioning, um, and, uh, a little bit more settled down now. So we finally made it happen. And, uh, a question I, I keep, I got a lot whenever I announced this is, you know, what aircraft do you want to fly? Do you know yet? Really? People care? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the Marine Corps flies some amazing birds. Uh, at this point in my training, uh, I'm about to find out whether I'm going to fly helicopters, jets, 
the C-130 or the Osprey. Uh, and each community or pipeline has its own perks and drawbacks. With that in mind, I'm going to give the politically correct answer of I don't care. <laughs> I would love to fly anything that the Marine Corps has. Uh, each of them have some amazing missions and each of them have things that I don't like. Uh, so I'm, I, I consider the community like uh, I'm married. So I want my wife to have a good, uh, a, a, what's known as a good spouse community, you know, not a toxic environment. And of course there are exceptions, but I, I'm, uh, all that to say, I really don't have that much control about it. Um, the number one person in their uh, primary flight instruction class gets their choice. And everyone, <laughs> everyone behind that person uh, it just needs the Marine Corps. So it would be kind of dumb for me to say, man, if I don't get the F-35, I'm just going to hate my life because <laughs> that's just not true. The Marine Corps, uh, will, will put, will plant you somewhere. And, uh, if you don't accept it and you don't mentally prepare yourself ahead of time to not get what you want, then you're setting yourself up for failure. So I've, <laughs> it sounds, uh, it sounds kind of dumb, man, but I really will fly whatever they put me in, and uh, I, I'm just ready to ready to fly for him, man. That's fantastic. I support that almost all the way, except for I've been in uh, I've been in a lot of Ospreys, and I knew you were going to say Ospreys. <laughs> I knew you were going to say <laughs> literally every time. I thought we were going to crash. But you no. were probably in the A model. Were you in an Air Force Osprey? I've been in both. I've been in both. Okay. Okay. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, like they say, man, if, if you don't have hydraulic fluid all over you when you're flying the thing, then you're probably going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, because those propellers, they, they turn whenever they go to land. So, you know, they're, they're vertical whenever you're taking off. And then whenever it gets ready to yep. go into airplane mode, they, yep. they airplane mode. <laughs> go forward and yep. you start taking off. And yeah, for sure. There's like a big transition every time that happens, especially with the landing. That's when you notice it. The the propellers kind of and it sounds like this is like ta, 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 ta. Yep. Yes, it yep. does you're sound like, good. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh and there's this big drop. Feels like you So uh, I take it that you wouldn't answer Ospreys. You would not say, I, Daniel, want to fly Ospreys. Oh, Daniel Daniel never wants to be in an Osprey again, but it's like um, a $30 million casket. Yeah. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> In the testing phase, maybe. But uh, no, they've definitely come a long way. Yeah, they have. They have. And, uh, and you know, not to discourage anybody from flying Ospreys. They're, they're really, they're a good aircraft. I just, uh, that's like, um, I guess I just like shitting on Ospreys because uh, I've done it a couple times, even on oh, my yeah. page. You, you know, have With to. the memes and stuff. If it's not Ospreys, it's something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought, dude? Who would have thought uh, a couple memes and workout programs would have led to this? Dude, I don't know if you mentioned it yet, but uh, I'm like one of your first couple followers. So. Yeah, yeah, you were. Yeah. yeah, we've been friends a long time. And yeah, uh, for sure. Check, hey, check this out. Strategic placement. Hey, nice plug. Get your coffee mug at trainlikearanger.com. <laughs> dude, who would have thought I could quit my day job with this? You know what I mean? And and do something that I really enjoy. You know, I get to plug back in with this community. And how cool is that, man? Is uh, I get to talk to guys like you who are out there, you know, going to do amazing things and guys who have done amazing things. It's just, uh, it gives me a much different perspective on 
the world than, uh, than what you're seeing in the typical social media uh, feed and the typical news. This is like a much different perspective of great Americans that we have. I think, I think you're onto something, man. I, uh, I could kind of feel it from the second you started the page, uh, which I'm sure was like a jump for you because you're pretty, you were a pretty reserved person. Um, not like a shelled up, you know, private fortress, but like you, you took something, uh, you, you took your experience and uh, you're appealing to a community and those who want to join a community of folks who are just doing different things. And, and uh, f- from what I can tell, there's a very limited uh, selection of resources for people who want to stay connected with like-minded folks such as yourself. And uh, I'm super, <laughs> it's super cool to see you like keep putting out products and keep uh, growing and uh, super encouraging that uh, uh, one day when I get out, uh, people like you are still putting out content to kind of make uh, veterans feel at home and not secluded. Yeah. Isolation's a killer, man. And it's a, uh, it's good to have a purpose and a community, you know, of, uh, for everybody, for everybody. That's important. For sure. Well, dude, we uh, there, we covered most of this, but there is something I wanted to cover before we get off today. We kind of talked about, you know, when I when I can gear it back towards uh, fitness, I do. And one of the things we were talking about in the military, and this is something that all military members can understand, uh, regardless of their branch. Some branches more than others, uh, but you know, uh, malingering versus actual injury and Oof. and stigmas against reporting injuries, because we kind of yep. talked. We talked about this offline and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to plug that in there, but we're going to get it in there somehow. So, Oh yeah, dude. So I'll start, uh, in training. I, you know, I had, uh, I had a leg injury that, uh, rolled me back into, uh, the, in the, in the basic school. It put me in, in a holding for, for a while, man. And it sucks because, the stigma is if you are physically broken, then you're just a broken Marine. Like you're different. And that's, I'm I'm sure it's the same in the army. Like if you are physically injured and you can't, you can't freaking hump your, your rug 12 miles or, or whatever, like the rest of the company, then, then you're just different. You're, you're just not cut out for it. Definitely in Ranger regiment. It's a machine. (laughs) It's a machine. That machine doesn't give a shit. No, that's exactly right. And it's, it's not true. Like, uh, take yourself out of that situation, kind of view it from 50,000 feet, look down, everyone gets injured eventually. And if you don't start early, the injury is just only going to get worse. And, uh, so I've, for example, like I was running on shin splints for almost a year because I was so scared of showing up for training and not being able to perform. And what happened was I showed up and the day before the physical fitness test, I got x-rays because I said I might have shin splints. I didn't even admit to it. Uh, And they took x-rays and they're like, yeah, both of your legs are broken. So (laughs) I, uh, I'm glad they did because I'm sure something bad would have happened catastrophic uh, down the road. But uh, it put me in a situation to really learn more about this. And uh, it's a super important thing to me that people talk about it, man. I know someone who just had a knee surgery this week because he didn't say anything about it during basic 
uh, or during our, our officer candidate school or the basic school. And he went through all those rucks and he went through, you know, X, Y, and Z, and he didn't say squat about it. And uh, now he's got a tear, you know, he could have completely avoided it. But the downside of reporting it is, A, I mean, people are going to think negatively of you, which you can get past, like, who cares what people think kind of mindset. But at the same time, like you're being, like some people will take that as you are not as good of a leader if you just can't suck it up. But there is a line somewhere between DBAB and uh, being a good leader. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm interested to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. It's, um, you know, you got to think what, what is good for recovery, sleep, diet, uh, reducing stress. And those are all things you don't necessarily no, get no, not at all. in the military. You, your diet sucks. You get what you get, right? You can, you can be more selective, but sometimes, you know, you're eating nothing but MREs, which are, you know, super, uh, super, what's the word I'm looking for? Produced. Nutritious. <laughs> Nutritious. Yeah. They're pretty good. I'm not delicious. They, they are delicious, but the, a lot of them aren't, aren't good for you. So, you know, you get what you get and sleep. Sometimes you're not getting no sleep. I can definitely attest to a uh, lack of sleep and then stress. You got stress, which is very damaging to everything in your body. And you're topping that with, you know, ridiculous amounts of impact. So say, you know, you got jumping, you got rucking. Uh, if you pair those things, which the physical activity could be constructive, but if you pair this heavy impact with the stress, the lack of sleep, the lack of diet, you know, injuries are going to happen. And we see a lot of injuries, you know, I can speak from Ranger perspective. There's a lot of injuries in Ranger Regiment and a lot of people don't report that because they want to be a part of the machine and the machine again, doesn't, doesn't care. So, you know, if you go get fixed, you better make sure something snapped in half pretty much, you know, like something has to be really broken and you're still, still people are going to look at you. I mean, I know a guy who the doctor told him I wouldn't put this spine on an 80 year old man. That is literally what the doctor told him. Yep. And he went to go get himself rehabbed and his leadership. I mean, the dude couldn't even stand up all the way. I would watch him in the morning. It would take him so long to get to a fully upright position. I was like, dude, I would tell him every day. I'm like, dude, you got to get that fixed. I was like, you got to think about, you know, he was like in his th early thirties. And I'm like, dude, you got to go get that fixed because you got to think about 10 years from now, you know, are you going to be playing catch with your kid from a wheelchair? You know, like, seriously, you need to go address that because, you know, keeping these people happy short term is not going to be good for your long term. And uh, the dude was going to get like all outside of the army. He did, he was going to get injections yeah. in his back to just kill his nerves. And uh, it was, <laughs> he was bad off. And, uh, and so, you know, at a certain point you have to take care of yourself regardless of what people are going to say. Cause it doesn't matter how legitimate it, it was there. People are still going to be like, what's up with this broke dick, you know? Yeah. For real. And then if you're broke too long, they, they boot you out. And so a lot of people don't report it. I know I, you know, I injured my ankle. My ankle was messed up for two years, 
two years and finally towards the end of my career, like I had like, I was about two months out and I finally started going and getting physical therapy for it and got an MRI and they're like, yeah, this is jacked up. They're like, you could do surgery. And I was like, I don't want to go under the knife and it ended up healing. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I finally got physical therapy on this, on this ankle that had been bothering me forever. And, you know, I got, I got some other injuries. Like I got herniated discs in my neck. I got, I got a herniated disc in my lower back. So, you know, I'm a little banged up, but you know, I, I know what, I know how to rehab and stuff now. So, um, you know, all that stuff's manageable. I'm not under that same impact anymore, but you got to think if I was to stay there another term, who knows where that would have progressed the injuries and stuff. So, you know, but that here's the thing is <clears throat> there is malingering in the military. I can speak for a lot of other places and like the, uh, I try not to say anything that's negative, but in the conventional military, there's a lot of people who malinger. They're in soft shoes, which is frankly embarrassing. Um, sure. if you can't wear boots, then maybe you should reevaluate where you are, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that I see like that, that is very frustrating to guys who come from a lot different of a culture, you know, uh, that's why a lot of Rangers are frustrated with, you know, the rest of the army, which is a big, it's a big cog. You got to think a lot of guys aren't in the army, aren't, you know, combat arms. They don't necessarily have to uh, train to that same standard. And that's a hard pill to swallow because they represent everybody else. Um, yeah. You know, typically the guys who are combat arms, they are under a much different um, structure than, than some of those other guys. There's just, the consistency's not the same among the conventional army, but I can speak for, you know, army special operations. Uh, it's a, it's definitely a meat grinder and, uh, and, you know, it, and it's a meat grinder elsewhere in the army too. Don't let me take away from conventional uh, forces. There's guys who've been through hell in, in the conventional forces, especially overseas and stuff like that. Uh, more so than, you know, a lot of special operations guys. So, you know, it's just, it's just different. And, and you got to know when, you know, you got to know when to suck it up and then when to address something that's going to be yeah. potentially. So what would you say to, to a, uh, a guy going through Ranger uh, selection, going through RASP and he feels pain on the bottom and the top of his foot, obviously a broken bone, uh, but he's like halfway through or something like there's a point at which you need to, you need to suck it up and you need to at least make it through the door. Uh, but there's also a point where you need to uh, say something about it. What, where's that line for you in selection? That's hard because, you know, I can speak for me personally uh, and, and my buddy for that matter. We were, we were willing to let ourselves get pretty broken before we say anything, but in the same coin, how effective are you going to be down the line? Let's say it is a broken foot. You know, is it something you can suffer through now with a broken foot? You know, uh, typically there's not a whole lot they can do for that anyway, but let's say, let's say it's more of a concerning injury, like something in the back or the, the, you know, spine somewhere, or maybe the knee, how, how, how effective are you going to be down the line? If that gets broken early, say you make it through that selection and then that problem is still unaddressed or maybe you don't make it. I mean, here's the thing is 
if you don't take time to address those things, then it may become more of a long-term issue. So something that you think you could grin and bear could turn around and become a long-term injury. And then maybe, maybe you're getting booted med boarded altogether, you know, and then where's your career at then? Whereas, you know, that short-term in selection, you can always recycle in a selection. You can get dropped and come back unless you get a never to return, which is pretty, honestly, it's pretty difficult to get. You got to fuck up to get one of those. So, um, and that's usually a disciplinary issue, not a injury issue. You know, if you get injured, that's different. So you got to, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough question because it's got to be on an individual basis. And, and sometimes it's hard for people to make that call. Excuse me, understandably, because I can speak for, you know, whenever I was going through selection, I remember hitting week seven out of eight of RASP. And I was thinking, you know, we had that final test coming up and it was like, Mm -hmm. I was obsessed over it because I was like, I was like, I am so close and I've put so much to this. It felt like so much at the time, definitely. And, and uh, same for Ranger School. I was like, doesn't, I have to, I have to fit, see this out. I have to see this out. And so it's kind of right. hard to make that call. Um, so yeah, it's a loaded question. It's a loaded question. And, it, and it's hard to disconnect whenever you're driven for a goal, especially a goal that's very important to you. But you know, if, if it's something that's going to be life altering or it could potentially be life altering, then sometimes you got to dial back and take care of yourself and realize that this isn't the end all be all, you know, and I, I know I'm rambling a lot because there's a lot to this idea, but, you know, I talk about, you know, failures and stuff like that. Like say you failed selection, you know, there's a lot more to life as somebody who's made it through, you know, the Ranger selection, I made it through Ranger school um, which if people don't know, those are two different things, but they kind of, they go together, right? You go through the selection, get a Ranger Regiment, later go to Ranger school. You know, I've gone through all these schools and, you know, you climb all those mountains and while it is a great sense of accomplishment and I'm very proud of it, obviously it's on my wall, you know, uh, it's definitely in my heart forever. This isn't, there's always another mountain to climb. And so you think, you think once you climb that mountain, it's the end, right? Whenever you're at the bottom of the mountain, you're like, if I can just climb this mountain, that all my problems will be fixed and, you know, I'll be good to go. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Life is always an uphill climb. That's not to discourage anybody. I'm just saying it's okay if something goes awry because there's always something else to look forward to. That's sure. a, more of a hopeful message. I, I guess climbing kind of seems hopeless, but you know. No, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, if anything, it's good for anyone getting ready to go into the military to at least understand this concept yeah. at a fundamental level before they go into there and they're surprised uh, and, and caught off guard by this decision of, well, uh, every time I put on my pack, you know, I can't move my legs or this or that. You know, there's decisions to be made. It would be kind of um, for me to give like a, all-encompassing advice for something like that, some decision like that, because it is extremely situationally dependent. But uh, yeah, find the line for yourself in between DBAB and uh, just sucking it up or doing the right thing for your health. Because uh, obviously it's not always about you or your health. You, you signed up to sacrifice up to you know your life uh, for this country. And you know just because you've you know, you have a little bit of an owie doesn't always mean that you need to go to medical, but at the same time, 
you got to be smart. And uh, there's yeah. something to be said about that. I'm, I know that's going to be controversial probably in the comments. Uh, uh, but I don't even read the YouTube comments. <laughs> you got to uh, talk about it, though. It's something to talk about. Uh, yeah. Anyone who's not willing to talk about it probably needs to think about it uh, and mature a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, you are right about the sacrifice. You know, I've got buddies with multiple uh, Purple Hearts. Like, it, it, sometimes, you know, your, your uh, risk of injury is just implied. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where how effective are you going to be for the machine as well? That's something else you got to consider. So, you know, for my buddy who – uh, was having trouble standing up straight. He wasn't moving as good as he used to. And, you know, your team is only good as its weakest link, not saying he was a weak link. He definitely wasn't. I mean, he still kept up. I don't know how, but, you know, you gotta, <laughs> there's some people though, their bodies will just eventually stop them. And yeah. so uh, maybe they need to address those injuries so that they can go back and be effective in the machine. That's something else to, it's another way to word it. Because, yeah, people people get injured. People, you know, die overseas, unfortunately. And um, and so it is part of the implied risk. But at the same coin, how effective are you going to be for the machine? So if you have to think bigger picture, then think bigger picture. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of uh, – it was a good topic to cover, very good topic to cover. 100%. Uh, definitely needs to be talked about. Yeah. Well, um, do you have any final notes before we end the podcast here? Final notes. What a great question. Um, it seems like uh, anyone who would be in the audience for this podcast is, is looking to join the military. They might not know what branch they want to go to uh, or what job they want to do. Maybe they do have an idea of what they want to do. Uh, but I think it's important for anyone uh, – if I could say anything to anyone getting ready to join, it's uh, do it for the right reasons. Uh, listen to your NCOs <laughs> and, uh, and don't ever think that you know it all. Yeah. That's really the only thing I could say that would apply to everyone listening. Yeah. The first step to being smart is realizing, you know, nothing at all. You know, nothing at all. Yeah. If, if I could go back and tell 18, 19, 20 year old me, anything, especially in that time frame, but probably longer. Right. And then I'll turn around and say this to me now is, uh, is shut up and listen sometimes, you know, cause it, it, especially a, uh, a young man's problem. Uh, young men are great because they're ready to conquer the world, especially between the ages of 18 and 25, they're ready to take on the world and some of them will, but also young men tend to, talk without a full understanding of things. So it's okay not to know everything. Sometimes you learn a lot more whenever you take away, and this goes back to the whole officer listening to their enlisted. Uh, sometimes you learn a lot more whenever you realize you don't know as much as you think you do and you take away, you can learn a little bit of something from everybody. So just kind of opening up your ears sometimes and knowing when to shut your mouth and listen is important. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. For me, that's, uh, more often shutting my mouth <laughs> instead of opening it. Yeah. I, you know, I say this and then I'll turn around and you know how I ramble. So, uh, Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, you said it was a privilege to be honest, privilege to have you on and, uh, and I appreciate the chat and, uh, 
And uh, again, thank you for coming on. Thanks for the opportunity, man. Keep doing your thing. I will. And for everybody else listening, hope you guys have a great day. Take care.